this way. We're going to be starting this week with a song by Arcade Fire that we've done a few times before. This is called Crown of Love.
everybody. I'm Tim, and welcome to Emmaus Way. And what a crew back here. This is like a like a massive throng of human beings back here who are my buddies. Um, typically, in our worship gathering, what we do is give these guys a chance to lead us into our, our liturgy. And we've been doing the doxology as we uh, are firmly in the middle of ordinary time, uh, though hearing Advent off in the distance. So I think you guys are going to lead us in the doxology. Please uh, sing along with the crew here. Joel, do you, do you start the song for us? Thank you. everybody. Thanks, guys. Good job. All right. So welcome once again to Emmaus Way. It's good to see all of you guys uh, tonight. Um, Decent, I always have this image when we do that part that somehow you ought to be on that plane. You know, just kind of <laughs> heading out, you know. Fired up, wrestling with miles or something. I don't know, but um, but anyway, uh, Emmaus Way. Most of you guys know this, but we're a a, a community of people that is, are committed to uh, gathering each week around the table, uh, gathering to hear each other's voices, um, to live into the kingdom in this world and in this place and in this community. And we know, and we're going to talk about this very specifically tonight. To live into the kingdom means that we have to hear each other's stories of lament. Stories of grace, stories of wonder, and stories of hope. And so we do that each week in, in our dialogue. So it's a, a delight to, to do this once again uh, and to do it every week. We have a couple quick announcements. Uh, one, Ben Haas. We have an Ecclesia meeting coming up. Is that correct, sir? Is that your subtle way of saying you'll still get to watch The Walking Dead? <laughs> One good. <laughs> Within the realm of possibility. Okay. Fantastic. And also, I wanted a quick um, reminder. We don't mention this very often, but I, it's something I appreciate every week. One is that we have a, 
a, a community of people that are a part of our, our podcast who, who listen to Emmaus Way. Uh, a lot of people who are part of Emmaus Way started as podcast people for a month or two, that's, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, we do that. And one of the things we do also is have a, a bit of a social media presence, which is helpful. Mark, you, you have very often kind of tweeted in terms of music and performers and that sort of thing because the people, the local musicians that we have that play with us are fantastic and are people that you would wait in line to hear anyway. So that, that's, you do that at Adamas Way, right? Yeah, I've, been, I've, I've done it a few times. I'm trying to do it more. <laughs> right. I'm trying to do it regularly now. So. And Sarah faithfully does uh, a faith, Facebook posting at, at, on our page for that. So just, you know, again, if you want to be wired in and, you, and you're, you're not so, um, feel free to, to check those out as well. I also have this driving sense that there's one more announcement. And Sarah, is, 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 it, is there? I want to remind people that if they're new here, they can fill out the green cards out there. Um, and there's also the silver bowl, which is where you can um, show Emmaus Way how much you love Emmaus Way. And since we're talking about the budget next week, um, there's lots of ways that you can contribute. Can you help me out with this? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, between there's the bowl, you can also uh, set up, you know, automatic uh, your bank. And you can get with myself or yourself if you want to get the ad, right address to uh, to have that. As well as through the website, you know, mayasway.net. There's a little dollar sign at the bottom. You click. You can set up recurring payments through that way. We do something really fun around here. The analogy I always keep in mind is, A, we do church on the cheap, which is great. One of the things that we, we love is that we're we're never inviting people to pay for our ambitions or that sort of thing. And we're also kind of like a road trip. We explained this to my son who went to some Nordic metal concert in in uh, Wilmington. And we said, you know, you, you, it's a long drive and you should have everybody pay for gas and he's like, oh, wouldn't that be rude? I said, no, we, we've all done that. I mean, we've all been to the Nordic metal concert, right? That you and you and you you paid you paid money to go to it, not just the tickets. I mean, I, I, you've been to multiple Nordic metal concerts, but uh, and, and that Emmaus Way is like a road trip. It, you know, it's done on the cheap. We just pitch in so that we uh, so that we can can do it, and all of our staffs, Bobby Coach, and all those things. So anyway, it's neat. And Dave, you're you're an awesome guy for managing all of that for us. Tonight, we're going to do things in a little bit of a different format because the, the, the dialogue itself is going to come in, uh, in multiple waves uh, as we kind of close our identity series. And I do say this, um, the, the whole identity thing is, it, it, this has, I think, been some of the most significant six weeks of not me talking, but what we've talked about in terms of the life and future of our community. So if you haven't had a chance to hear all these, these are these are podcasts that I would strongly encourage that you um, jump on board. I do want to call attention to one. We do this every week, but I want to call attention to a very significant part of the dialogue tonight is that the, the, I, I just listened to the whole set uh, of music as I was kind of looking at my notes tonight. It, Mark is doing the dialogue as powerfully and intentionally as you could ever get in the music tonight. And there'll be things, we've already sung things that were sung in a more uh, a more passionate and intense way that we'll say from the stool or to each other. So um, uh, there'll be more from Josh and Mark about that. But let me just do, uh, before we pass the piece tonight, um, a little bit of framing of, of, of our, the kind of this is being the last week of our identity series. Uh, and it begins with an admission. Um, one of the things I laugh about is that it's very true, and, and I'm sure many of you have, have said this at some point, a mass way can be a difficult church 
to, to get, to understand. In fact, this is a, a little known fact, but the Facebook designation, it's complicated, um, was invented literally after Zuckerberg came to Duke speaking and he went to Emmaus Way and he said, you know, this whole relationship thing, perhaps it's too binary. Maybe there needs to be something else to, to do that. That's actually not true, but it could have happened. Uh, uh, it, it didn't. Um, and, and jokingly, for, for us as a community, one of the things that we have no desire to be is to be obscure. But we also know that we're, we're, we're difficult to get. It, it, um, it, for example, I, I use this analogy. Um, the, back in the day when I listened to sports radio, there's a sports radio talk show that's syndicated. I think it was maybe 15 years ago. But it, it had a tone to it and a, and a liturgy to it. And the host would say, when they started a new market, I remember they, when they came to Raleigh-Durham, the host would say, okay, Raleigh-Durham, you are not allowed to call in for six weeks and praise or complain about anything because you don't get it yet. It takes about six weeks to get. And if you'll listen for six weeks, then I'll be ready to hear whatever you have to say. And I chuckle, and I think about that often because in some ways, and of course it's far more complicated as a, a church community uh, because we're not a preset on a, on a radio dial uh, uh, that you can just kind of punch when you, when you want to. But we get that in some ways um, we're complicated and we've been making some really big decisions in terms of space and direction and vision and soon to be staff uh, as Ben will lead us uh, next week um, on, on an idea of kind of who we are. Uh, but we know that in some ways it, it's complicated. Um, a positive of this is in a mass way, it is very, very difficult to exclude someone, or maybe you just want to—you you had this passion to lead a heresy trial and and come to the conclusion that that someone is a heretic, and that would be really, really, really difficult to do in our community, given the the diversity that we have, except for one thing that we tend to have in common that I'm going to talk about today. But we are not what one would call an easy church, uh, something that fits into an elevator message. Um, and, And easy church, Mark and I were talking about this this week, easy church is very easy to do, duh. Um, for example, here's the formula, um, it is preach, have a dominant voice who preaches with certainty. Just make sure people know that you've got it. And hopefully you have a skill set to convey that certainty in a way that other people believe it. But it cuts off a lot of wasteful dialogue and just lets you do things. Preach with certainty. Uh, another thing to do for Easy Church involves art, which we're going to talk about tonight. And, the, and the, for, the way to do it is to always do visual and musical auditory art as uh, experiential entertainment. If, if it is entertaining, if people are always engaged, if they like it, I mean, you're going to have a few people who don't like it and they'll bleed off into the corners. But, but do what entertains people. That's kind of the second part of Easy Church. And then the social part of Easy Church is to focus on attraction. Uh, make sure things are attractive. That you're around people that you want to be around. That, that there's the sense that this might be the place to be. Uh, the place for people to be. Uh, in my career, I have worked in two larger churches. Um, one's kind of truly a mega church in New England when I was 23 and, and a college town church. 
both of those churches had founders who had implosive, massive sexual failures in, in really dumb ways where there was a natural drop-off of people immediately because it defied the principle of easy church. Uh, it, 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 all of a sudden you weren't certain about things. Uh, artistically, it was a little complicated because people needed to lament and, and, and you were no longer in the place that everybody wanted to be. So I would suggest that easy church is easy. It, it can be done. The formula is, is not tricky, but there are reasons to be a little bit complicated. And for us, one of the things that we love the most we, we say this, we mean this, and it's entirely true. If you were to ask me to write a history of Emmaus Way in terms of the 10 years that we've been together, because we have so many people who, who have been a part of this community who left with degrees or new jobs somewhere else, uh, but we really mean this, that when someone new comes to this community, when new people gather, which happens for us usually often every fall, um, our community changes because we're committed to talking to each other, that we are excited about people coming to this community and making it a bit complicated because you bring experiences, passions, uh, spiritual locations, things that, uh, that are very, very different, and it changes the conversation. And we think that's a, a really, really significant significant thing for us to do. And I'm going to make a point later today that I think that this is desperately, desperately, not the only thing, but desperately what the ecclesial, spiritual, Christian world needs is communities that are deeply impacted by the presence of people and are communities that are not editing the experiences that are part of their life. I, I think it's deeply, deeply significant. Um, we've been talking for um, several weeks and we've identified four identity markers that are significant for us as a community. We talked about us being one obsessively local we are committed to the local. Um, as a second marker, we've talked about us being passionate about Catholicity, the idea of being part of a larger movement of God's work in the world and of, of what Jesus called his kingdom. We, that's deeply significant. The third marker for us is we talked about orthodoxy, that we see ourselves as part of an orthodox tradition of, of, of Christianity, a story that has been told. It's been told differently, but it's a long biblical, historical tradition of hope, and we see ourselves as deeply a part of that. And then last week, we talked about ourselves as well as being theologically and intellectually curious and inclusive. Meaning that for us, the tension of being biblically orthodox and intellectually and spiritually curious is a tension, not an either or for us. So we've talked about these four identity markers. Tonight, in the last week of this, what we're interested in is what is the thing that holds the four markers together? What keeps us from being four communities? The, this group over here being the people that we're into orthodoxy. This group being the people that are into curiosity. This the group that's into to locality and this group being into Catholicity. What stops us from being friendly between four different groups? Um, and what stops us, and this is even more significant for us, what stops us from ever planning, scheming, doing such that we would hope that one of those groups would disappear? And that tends to happen in a lot of Christian communities, even especially in new churches. They can be kind of foxhole buddies that we are not this, you know. And so, and it's pretty exciting to be not this 
for about 18 months or two years or three or four years. But in reality, you start making some decisions of what you are, and it starts getting complicated. And you realize, you know what? If we could just get rid of the art table people over there. I mean, they bug us. And, and they, they talk about stuff that we don't want to hear. And they have these experiences that we don't really care that much about. And they ask questions that I don't like hearing. And if we could just make some musical preaching and relational decisions and do it not in a mean way, just in an intentional way, I think the art table people would go away. And and we'll miss them, but they will not be bugging us anymore. Um, and I think that's a lot of what happens in community is not insidiously, but there's the hope that we may start with these four things, but we're going to get to the one thing, and the one thing will be the one thing that organizes us. But for us, what keeps us from doing exactly that and what makes us passionate about the opposite? A deep hope that all of our identity markers become significant and stay significant in the life of Emmaus Way. And the suggestion that I'm going to make is that there's, there's one practice that connects them all and is truly the core practice of faith, love, and spiritual formation. And that's the practice of hospitality. And that for us has always been our story, is that hospitality is the thing that keeps those identity markers both in tension but in present and always challenges us that if I ever do have a thought that says if we could just get rid of the art table, folks, um, hospitality would be the very thing that contradicts that type of thinking. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to talk about it, Josh and Mark, in terms of, of aesthetics um, and, and Josh later in sacrament. And we're going to look at uh, the text, Luke 24, which was the text that we used to, to name this community and ask a, a, few, a few questions about hospitality. If you will, I'm going to do a dialogue on dialogue tonight. So that's the plan for this evening. Let me give you an opportunity, though, now to stand up and greet each other uh, as we prepare for dialogue. We always want to be able to already start talking. So stand up, greet the folks around you, offer them a piece of Christ. If you're around somebody that you don't know, please introduce yourself. Or if you see somebody in the, you know, especially after that analogy, you might want to go over to the art table and tell them how much we, we love those guys. Uh, especially Steve. He was looking pretty, pretty, pretty angry over there. <laughs> but anyway, stand up and greet each other. So, uh, like Tim said, our idea tonight was in some ways to talk about several different places where we as a community um, hold these different identity markers in tension. And so one of those places is through uh, our practice of aesthetics, and so uh, I want to talk a little bit about that, and uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm the arts coordinator here, and, and Mark, our lead artist, want to talk a little bit about that. Um, so how old are you, by the way? <laughs> Today is my birthday. I was saying, in, in lieu of gifts, I'm 45, that's right now. 27. And in lieu of gifts, you can make a donation to the Busman Home for Needy Graduate Students. It's, uh, I'll give you the address if you need it, but you can just send us a check. Um, this guy's going to be a PhD before his 10-year high school reunion. That is He's not right. That's that. right. He, he yeah. probably should be killed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so one of the things I wanted to point out, sort of as we were starting tonight, for those of you who are not aware, um, on our website we have a, a couple of different resources under a tab that's called Who We Are. 
Um, and uh, one of the things that we mention a, a little bit here in the ASW, and we'll bring up certainly every time we have a minister's liturgy, um, is our core values. We have these sort of six values that uh, we as a community sort of decide to, to bind ourselves to. And in some ways, uh, committing to upholding those values is the way that you become a part of our community. Um, but a couple of years ago, we also uh, designed an arts document that, that puts forward some of the core values that we hold aesthetically. And uh, this was born out of a conversation between myself and Mark and Ben Haas and Wade, who was our lead artist at the time, and a, a few others. And so um, if, if you're interested sort of where some of these ideas are coming from or, um, or it, it, getting more information, you can find that up on the website. But I wanted to sort of start, I think, three quick uh, distinctions that I'll make uh, in light of Tim's intro and sort of ways maybe that the way we do art here at Emmaus Way is different than uh, you may have encountered in other churches. Um, I think the first one, and this one may be the most crucial, is that art, and we consider art in Emmaus Way to be descriptive rather than prescriptive. What that means is we believe that art is the description of a particular experience of the world, not a prescription that tells you how you have to experience the world. Oftentimes at churches, music is there to tell you sort of what the theology is, or it's there to tell you or, or encourage you to sort of feel certain ways. Um, and that's not the way that we have chosen to approach arts here in Emmaus Way. Um, in some ways, taking uh, a, a page out of the playbook of, of an organization like AA, our art speaks in I statements. It, it talks about itself. It talks about the protagonists that, that fill it. Um, but it's not there to sort of conscript you into its narrative necessarily. So we're always engaging art the same way we are each other as a dialogue partner. We're constantly pushing and pulling against it, and we're, we're sort of talking with those pieces of art in the same way that we would anything else. A second thing is that um, rather than being sort of attractional, as Tim was talking about, our art is deeply liturgical, and in some ways it only makes sense in that liturgical context. Um, when we choose, uh, Mark and I were joking this week, when we choose to sing Foreigner last week, Right? We don't sing corner because we think it would attract anyone, because I don't think it would attract anyone. <laughs> um, we don't sing corner because it's somehow cool, again, because it is not cool. Um, and the handful of people who thought it was cool may already be here. Like, I don't think we need to, I don't think we need to attract them. I'm, I'm certainly one of those people as well. All three of those people were already Exactly right. The Brogans came back. <laughs> But the reason why we do uh, a song like Foreigner last week is because we think it, it speaks to us as an absolution. And if it doesn't fit within that liturgical scheme, if it doesn't work as an absolution, then it's not something that we include uh, in the way that we do our And the last one is, and this is another one that I, I think uh, may be a shift for people coming from, depending on what background you come from, but... We believe that art is a place where you equally encounter humanity and divinity, not just a place where you encounter God. Um, and because we believe in the incarnation, we don't believe that that's a conflict, and we also don't believe that, um, that that somehow presents a theological problem, but we believe that in song, we confront each other, and we confront uh, sort of what it means to be human and what it means to live in the world. 
So those are sort of three uh, things that I wanted to do just to sort of get us going. Um, what I want to do now is just sort of talk through a little bit through the set list and, and talk with Mark a little bit about what your thought process was in picking out these particular songs uh, and, and maybe the way that they uh, play into some of these ideas. Yeah, I think so. Several things that you just said, Josh, that I thought were really great is that I think we, I, I think one of the things that I tend to operate on when I'm when I'm pulling songs together is the idea that I I I am someone who thinks the more radically and deeply we meet and engage with people and with a human story, that we are actually interacting with God. That that. That to, to be deeply godly, I think we have to be sort of deeply humanistic in that sense. That I don't think, I think that the way that we encounter the world in, in, in the most painful ways, in the most joyful ways, are through relationship with other people. And so that's, that's kind of one of my operating principles when I'm pulling songs together. That's why we're doing, that's one of the reasons why we're doing Red Dirt Girl next. Um, and, and that speaks to what you said, Josh, that it's not. It's not prescriptive in the way that clearly, well, I hope it's clearly, I'm not a red dirt girl. I, I, that's not me. That's, I'm going to be the unreliable narrator uh, when I sing that song in a few minutes. But that there's something from that story that I find, it, it's, it's a lament, but, but I find it to be deeply, deeply human in a way that is longing for God's intervention, right? So, so this is the kind of song that is actually saying, wow, the world is far more busted up and broken than I realized. Um, and there's a longing there that I think leads into the song after that, which is I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I, I put that song there because I think that the dialogue between those two songs is interesting because I think that we, we talk occasionally here about sort of living in the already and the not yet. And the idea that there are, we are experiencing certain ways that God's kingdom has come. We see redemptive forces around us, but we also see like war and suffering and hunger and, you know, all these awful things as well that happen in our city as well as around the world. So trying to engage on some level of recognizing both the deeply, deeply painful and hurt places as well as the places that we actually do see hope beginning to break in. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And one of the things that Mark and I have talked about, Mark being someone who works in a sort of psychoanalytic capacity, is that um, I think oftentimes what you see is that music in particular, but um, sort of art and beauty at church, comes to fill the role of the thing that makes you feel better. <laughs> After maybe you encounter some sort of hard truth, art is there to come sweep in behind it. So, so if you preach a sermon, for instance, that says, are you 100% sure that you're going to make it to heaven? The, then the last song is Blessed Assurance. Like, it's there to just sort of <laughs> make everything seem like it might be okay. And I think, you know, one of the things that I would say about our art... Um, and we something, almost never do that. Right, right. And one of the things I think I would say about our art is something that um, a writer and speaker that I love, Peter Rollins, says, which is um, the, the, the idea of doing music that sort of doesn't make you depressed is dangerous... Um, is dangerous to you in a certain way because if the music is making you uh, making you feel certain sort of sadnesses, it's not because it's forcing you to do that. It's because you're already feeling those things, <laughs> and it's it's forcing you to confront a part of yourself that maybe you don't normally. 
And that's a certain uh, uh, that that whole sort of idea is always for us bound up in this movement from confession into absolution, um, so that we're never confronting something without uh, without as a church uh, uh, attempting to imagine something greater that that supersedes it. Yeah. This will, so this will be a perfect week for that because you will be hugely disappointed once again. <laughs> Just kidding. So yeah, so like this week is a great example of that where our, our song of confession is hard sun and our song of absolution is hard times. <laughs> right? So besides the fact that on my song list they're alphabetically right next to each other. <laughs> So that's not why I chose it. Oh, I'll just pick the next one. That sounds good. But because, <laughs> but because like, what, what I could have done there, the, either one of those songs could operate in either one of those slots. Like, you could actually flip them. And, and some weeks, we might do one of those songs as a song of confession instead of absolution or whatever. We may, we may flip them from week to week. What I'm picking up in for the song of absolution with hard times coming in no more is, is not... Um, it, it, it is... To me, this deeply human impulse to bind ourselves to other people. It is this deeply human impulse that is crying out for mercy, crying out for justice, crying out for peace, even if we're not seeing those things today. It is this, I think that something, there's some type of like divine experience, I think, comes out of this collective uh, group of people with their imagination saying, we believe that somehow this is going to be made right. We want to figure out how we can participate in helping it be so. Mark, I was going to say real fast, this is merging in here for somebody who gets to do all the talking. Anyway, the, doing dialogue, as we'll talk about, converts the person who's talking all the time. And I can tell you one conversion I've had in this identity thing is we talked about Catholicity and the bigness of God's presence in the world is – Distinguishing carefully between a phony triumphal, triumphalism that woohoo it's going to work out, you know, and we were right all along, to a sense of of invoking a sense of joy of watching the presence of God in humanity and art and beauty. And that's that's been my point of conversion. That I hope you'll hear from me um, is I, I think that's that we joked about. You, know, you don't get the joy sermon from me very often, uh, uh, and and I think that's a, that's what music does. Is it, it, it we do things for me, and I kind of go, oh wait, that's in me too, uh, which is not as easy. Yeah, so. I think with the confession and absolution, I often think of it as sort of a rehearsal of this Holy Saturday Resurrection Sunday moment every week, um, and again to sort of go with that Resurrection Sunday. Um, I, I think that is a place where there has maybe been the most phony triumphalism sort of tacked on because, okay, Christ rose from the dead and it, this is something that happened several thousand years ago so everything's good now, right? Like, it's all fixed. There's nothing left to do. It's totally taken care of. Um, 
No, like that obviously, that what, and, and even if you look at the way the Bible tells the story, the thing that is implicated in that resurrection is a going out from the tomb and a making different of the world. And so I think in some ways, if our Song of Confession is this Holy Saturday moment of, uh, of uh, uh, a title of a book that I love, God is dead and I don't feel so good myself, right? That's maybe, if that's maybe where the confession is, I'm not even sure what the way forward would be. The Song of Absolution is not, it's totally taken care of, because we don't believe we can say that. Um, to quote a, a theologically astute movie, Dumb and Dumber, right? The, the Song of Absolution is, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> it's, this, it's this inbreaking of a new reality that just suggests the possibility that things might be different than the way that they are. I, I don't know if that's really... Yeah. And that, this is an ongoing dialogue, so Absolutely. if you're not satisfied with that, we'll yeah. It was a critique, it was just... No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a great question. It's a very good question. Cool. So, um, yeah, so why don't we do... Why don't we do Red Dirt Girl? It'd be great. And I still haven't Like a creamer bush in the back of the yard. Dead 
we're not necessarily standing but but um this one to me this feels like a song of absolution to me actually too elizabeth this feels to me like like it's saying something um that even though this is in the first person this is in fact saying something that i think we that we feel together as both um both a, but a longing i think of this as a longing this is this is a song of longing that we long for the the kingdom of god to break in we long for the world to be a more whole and complete place than it is Yeah. 
Just to remind you, um, we were talking about this practice this week as kind of, of hospitality and how it holds our identity markers in place, how it's the practice that makes our identity operate, if you will. And I want to start the conversation on that with you and with the idea of dialogue, which we will I'll tie in in just a second. But here's the first question for you guys today. Why do we do dialogue as a community? I know for those of you who've been around 10 years or less, this has become entirely normal. It was actually quite controversial uh, the first year and a half of, of Emmaus Way that we chose to do a, a dialogue style. I had lots of, of, of dialogues with people about why don't you preach uh, and, and, and are you absconding of your responsibility? But why do you think we do dialogue as a community? This has been our 10-year our norm. Your 
so generous to call me middle-aged. <laughs> I mean, I mean that seriously. <laughs> I mean that really seriously, Chelsea. No, you're right. Keep going. And you, all of you, uh, check something about me. Those of you who are women certainly check uh, my masculine reading of Scripture uh, every week. That's exactly true. Why else do we do dialogue? Great. Thanks, Chelsea. Absolutely. Spoken truly as a woman with teenagers. <laughs> Who knows that telling just doesn't get the job done <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Not that we don't, right? <laughs> Bond. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think. It's not a setup to make you look dumb. <laughs> so yeah, it ends with dialogue in a sense, and we go away with not an answer, but a question that's open, and yeah. there's value in that. That's the difference, I think. The thing that I set up with Easy Church is to is to no matter what you do, end with a certainty. But you end every week with the work going out of the room, uh, dinner that night, hanging out with friends playing at the park with your kids, uh, uh, working it out. Because we think that's where the working out happens. Absolutely. Certainly not here. Thanks, Wendy. That's perfect. Anybody else? Why we do dialogue? Yeah, Steve. Um, when I was thinking about um, you know, 2,000 years ago when Jesus and these 12 other guys were you know, loosely related to uh, this, this thought process that they were all learning about. They, they didn't, Jesus didn't get up on a hill and preach. He got up on a hill and he said some words and There's definitely a deeply Christological modeling, I think, that goes on. Not that we do it well, but that, that we, we certainly have seen that example. Second question, how is dialogue? You've already answered this a little bit, but I, I want to throw this out to nuance the answers that you've already given. How is dialogue an act of hospitality? say there, there's a vulnerability that is a part of it because, it, you know, it's not restricted that you, you have a badge that says, yes, I've been here for five years and I get to talk as part of the dialogue. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's open to everybody. And, and hospitality, you know, I think of that as, you know, if I'm opening my house, I'm inviting whoever's coming in to participate in whatever dinner or what we're doing. And it's the same thing. It's, it's saying, all right, you know, come on in and 
chance to form it. One of my favorite moments, and then you're going to be next. One of my favorite moments of life at Mayus Way was a, a, a friend, dear friend of ours, who uh, had started dating someone who had never been to church before, and uh, but was a, a yoga instructor and was deeply committed to the physicality of of, of prayer. And um, and we were doing a body prayer that week where we there was some sort of standing or moving or something that was a part of our prayer and. Um, and, um, and we asked her, it was the second time she'd ever come to lead it. And, she, and you could see, she was like, this is unbelievable. Hey, I didn't think you guys would like me. <laughs> I'm not sure about this thing, but my second week I'm leading something. And it was, it was wonderful. Ben. Dave said, it feels like the conversation is, is open. That it's not a dialogue we have and we stop. As Wendy's saying, it's a dialogue happens weekly and that conversation ongoing and we're always going to be having a dialogue around the text and around our life together. So I mean, a lot of ways that I've heard people talk about God working or it, it, it's always a matter of you getting in line with whatever's happening or not. And I feel like here there's always an ongoing welcoming into something that's not that's going to be different if you aren't here but it's not going to stop if you choose not to be yeah, and it's interesting, too, that dialogue spills out. Ben will lead a dialogue next week in the Ecclesia meeting where, where the, the leading of our community is done in conversation. Uh, you'll also be explaining uh, the book of Judges and why that priest cut up the... You know. <laughs> so do come for that one because it's, uh, it's, you'll get the answers you've been looking for. Matt, were you going to say something? Yeah, I, I think that, um, at least to me, the, the word dialogue itself... Um, sort of etymologically is almost by definition hospitable because at least if you're doing it the way that it should be done, which a lot of people do as an interspersing of two monologues instead of an actual yeah. dialogue um, but if you're, if you're actually engaging in dialogue then you are opening yourself to the input of the other person and the, the other, the reciprocal party is doing the same yeah. Let me, I want to show you guys something tonight um, and it won't take but a second to do this. Um, in front of you is a text. Luke 24, 13 to 35. Um, there's no text that we've read more in this community. Because it's the text we use to name the community. And I want to say just a couple quick things about it. Um, uh, we're not even going to read it tonight. But what I want to show to you is simply this. You just exegeted that text. Uh, this community just read that Text is a biblical text for their lives. Um, the, the big bullet point is it's Easter Sunday, Sunday evening. Um, Jesus has died dashing the hopes of whoever cared. And there are strange reports of his resurrection. And there are disciples walking about a seven-mile trek from Jerusalem where it all happened, trying to figure this out. And in their walking on this Emmaus road, Jesus appears to them and, um, and, and talks to them and explains. Um, one one um, theologian, J.I. Packer, that maybe some of you read back in the day at some point, made the point that this ex- explanation that Jesus gave these disciples most likely became the heart and soul of the New Testament. He explained how it worked, but they did not recognize Jesus. 
And as they got to the town and into the evening, as people of the ancient Near East, they practiced what they practiced, which was hospitality. You didn't send someone along the road alone or hungry, and they invited him in. And Jesus did the thing that we do every week and that he did all the time is he broke bread with deep spiritual meaning. And he was recognized by the disciples in that moment of breaking bread. And uh, listen to your points on this because um, one of the reasons that we do dialogue and, and, and we listen to each other's voices and that we see hospitality, the, the receiving of others, as radically significant is that what you see in that story is it, it, it's Chelsea's point. You see the limits of a personal perspective. No matter how incredible your experience is, it's not the same as someone else's. There is no way to dictate to others out of your own experience unless you are implicitly saying that my experience is greater than yours or more universal than yours. Perhaps more universal could be said, but the story shows us the limit of personal experience. Number two, it shows us, this is Susan's point, the limit of explanation. No matter how great the explanation is, and I have crafted some of the most brilliant explanations of the meaning of the universe to my kids only to have them look at me and say, uh, that sucks, or that doesn't work, or who would think something like that? I want a DNA test right now. Um, uh, there is a limit to explanation. It does, But on the flip side, a point that you guys just made as well is that... While, limit, while explanation and personal experience are limited, hospitality taps into the infinite. Hospitality continually asks for more and does not limit the more that comes. Jesus was revealed in this story to hospitality, revealed at the table. And ironically, a point that Josh, I think, is going to make tonight with greater detail, so I'll just give the punchline to ruin it for him, is that sacrament is the imagination of the infinite. It's, it, it's a hospitable act where we imagine something much bigger than our experiences and our explanations. What is hospitality? You have heard me say this a million times. You know that I am a quoting word-by-word word disciple of Henry Nouwen's book, Reaching Out, on this. I think it's, the, the, for me, the most meaningful book on spirituality that I've ever read. I, I've, it, it's changed everything about what I did. But he made this point that real hospitality is two things. Radical receptivity. It is receiving everyone. Letting them be free to sing their own songs and dance their own dances, is how he puts it. But he adds to it that you don't invite someone into your home and then be a non-presence, a silence, a fearful presence, a non-person. And the other part of hospitality is honesty. It is receiving and engaging that which you've received. And I would assert that to drop off either of those things is to not practice hospitality. Think about how hospitality changes all of the practices of our faith. Prayer and spiritual formation is receiving the voice of God and God's creation in your world without any caveats. But it's also being honest and saying that we are not the worshipped item. It's recognizing, it's being honest about yourself. 
Teaching and learning, what we do together is receptivity to the ideas, voice, and experience of others. You do it every week as we dialogue. As you hear people say something that you may not agree with or experiences that you never had. And it's also an implicit honesty of saying you don't know. I've heard a few pastors, one notable one, simply say, I do know. I do. I, I mean, I know almost everything. Not everything, but close. But in, in, in the practice of teaching and learning, we're saying we don't know everything. How about the practice of care and leadership? It's honesty to the wounds and needs of others. It's, it's, excuse me, it's receiving the wounds and needs of others. It's not saying that your wounds do not fit here, but it's an honesty as well as you receive the wounds of others that we ourselves bring wounds to that receptivity. There's not a person in this room who has not been deeply marked and wounded by their experiences. And that's how we can come close. As Wendy has said many times in the dialogue, that's what it means to be a Christian is to come near the pain of others rather than rejecting that pain. What is evangelism? It is radical inclusion. It's saying there's a place for you, but it's also an honesty about the love that defines that inclusion. It's saying that you're not included just because it doesn't matter what you do once you're included. The inclusion implies radical acts of love. Social justice is honesty to the vision and reality of God's kingdom. It's saying this crazy kingdom that inverts the world is what I'm receiving. But social justice is also a deep honesty that we all have self-interest that would stop Jesus' kingdom in his tracks if we had our way. Part of me wants Jesus' kingdom for everyone in this room but me. <laughs> I want Jesus' kingdom plus my interest. And I have to be honest that my interests get in the way of Jesus' kingdom. Aesthetics that these guys said so beautifully tonight is, uh, is receptivity to the beauty of God in this world. And the honesty that no single one of us is an arbiter of what real beauty is. No one can stand up. Brandon can't stand up and say, yes, we're committed to beauty. But what you guys just did wasn't beautiful. Why? Because I know what beauty is. Matt does not. That's, so I would suggest that all that we do as spiritual practice is this dual tug and pull of receiving and receiving with honesty. A last point on this is I think this is how the world has changed. If you were to press me and say, how do you enact the kingdom? How do you change the world? I would say through the spiritual practice of hospitality. I just come from Seattle where for 10 years I was on the board of a, a school that I adore out there, the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. And two things that were striking me constantly on the the ride home. First was this implosion of a mega church in Seattle. Yeah, you, you probably it's been national news. Uh, Mars Hill Church, uh, founded by a person who was a friend of mine a long time ago. I haven't spoken to him in ten or fifteen years. But the last event that we attended as a part of Emergent, we roomed together, so I, I knew him. Um, and and 
the odd stories from that church. They're what they call it in Seattle because it's been front page. They call it Driscoll porn, especially among Christians. It's like, okay, let's do a little Driscoll porn. What are people saying now? What are people in the church talking about? What is going on? And the stories are outrageous. I heard a story the other day. Somebody had disagreed with him. Uh, the wife of a pastor had disagreed with him. And they were invited to a, a gathering of the staff at his home. And the, the, the person, the husband, was insisted that he had to come out of loyalty. But the wife was not allowed in the home. So she was asked to sit outside on the porch in the cold Seattle winter while her husband was indoors. I mean, that's Driscoll porn. Uh, egregious acts of inhospitality. In hospitality. But interestingly, even though they're closing sites all over Seattle, people have said, I have been transformed in this community, and I don't doubt it at all. They, then they say, what changed you? And they talk about the love of God, and most of them, unbelievable small group experiences where they've gathered in people's homes, they've cried, they've laughed, and okay, we passed something in church that's some doctrine that sounds frightening, but I love you, and we're a part of our life. I, I, that to me reminds me that even in our greatest excesses, and I'm not calling, I, I, uh, there's a wonderful post on Mark about how we all kind of journeyed together in a heady day where people called and said, uh, my first book was written with this kind of intense negotiation. Somebody called me up and I quote, dude, do you want to write this book? That was the, that was the whole negotiation. Uh, it, was a, it was a time when it would have been really easy to develop egos where you would say, I'm right about something. But notice the beauty of what happens even when people go crazy on it. Second point, a friend of mine, uh, 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 Dwight Friesen, who some of you guys know was here once or twice, um, just finished a 50-city tour around the U.S. And, uh, and, and Europe on his book called The New Parish that looks at churches like this that are committed to locality and a radical vision of God's kingdom in, in the world. And I know that seminary professors are not supposed to be Christians, but... I have never seen someone who has been converted so converted by that. After coming back, the privilege of writing something that puts him face to face with the Emmaus ways and everybody else around there. He, he, he just has this Shekinah look that says the kingdom is happening in the world. You might not see it on MSNBC. Or on Fox News or in the diatribe, but the kingdom is being enacted by people at their tables and in their living rooms and the way that they're raising their kids together. It matters amazingly. So I would say to you as we kind of prepare for the table, which will be our imagination of, of, of the infinite through confession and absolution tonight, to know that there's something deeply significant about what we're hoping for. And what we're expecting. And where do you see the presence of Christ? Where do you see the realness of God? As Mark said it, you see it in the, in the encounter. You see it in the hospitable encounter. And you see it in acts that are entirely subversive. Like radical inclusion. Like having a voice and receiving the voice of others. 
Mark, would you lead us in confession and absolution? This will be a series, not because it's great. We'll talk about this stuff a lot because I think many of these concepts are yours to own as we step into kind of our next 10 years as a community. Thank you.
children back in. Welcome, everyone. Why don't we stand up for our song of absolution? So again, like we said, this feels a little bit like another song of confession, but really I think that there is uh, this sense of hope, mercy, peace, and the absolution that comes with joining our lives uh, together, uh, both acknowledging what's wrong with the world, but also crying out for, uh, for hope, for mercy, for peace to break into the world and change it around us. This is Hard Times Coming In No More by Stephen Foster.
In fact, the, for those of you who don't know, the word hocus pocus, which you hear a lot at this ho the holiday that's coming up, Halloween, as this sort of like evil, scary magic, um, the word is actually derived from hoc est corpus, which is what Catholic priests used to say, this is the body. <laughs> um, it, was, it, was a, it was a Protestant fear of sacrament. It was that this was some sort of unholy magic that was taking place in the sacramental moment. So it's something that I think is often frightening to people, and I think what I want to suggest is maybe that it should still be unsettling, but maybe not for the same reasons. Um, I found myself uh, last week in a room full of real, dyed-in-the-wool Marxists. Um, I'm part of a reading group through Jackman Magazine, and a number of us have gotten together to talk about uh, sort of political action in Durham. And we were talking with an organizer from a, a group called Raise Up, which is uh, the group that's behind the push to try and get $15 an hour as a living wage for fast food workers. And one of the things that was coming out of the conversation is he kept talking about the ways in which this issue pushed into so many areas of life. That it, it involved gender imbalance, it involved racial imbalance, it implicated so many of our class structures. Um, and the Marxists in the room started to get a little uneasy because they said, whoa, I don't know that we can do all the things you're talking about here. You're talking about so much change. What is it that you're trying to accomplish? 
And what came out was that what he was trying to accomplish was the total unmaking of the social order. And as a Christian, I thought, yeah, that sounds about right. That's exactly what we need. <laughs> we need something that's much more radical than your Marxist imagination is, is sort of filling in at the moment. And I think the way that we see that every week at Emmaus Way is at the table, is through the sacrament. For those of you who are in the pub group or on the pub group list, we're working through a book right now called Body Politics. And in it, Yoder talks about the table as the total leveling of the social order. The, the, the table is a moment of jubilee that breaks in and interrupts everything else that's going on. And so what I want to invite you to experience today as we go to the table is that at the table, all of the distinctions, all of the hierarchies, all of the things that we bring in are broken. And they're broken by hospitality. They're broken by the radical receptivity that we have to each other and by the radical honesty it takes to say, within the kingdom that we're imagining, within the kingdom that we're enacting, you are welcome and you are equal. So please be welcome to the table, break bread for one another saying the body of Christ broken for you, and pour wine and juice saying the blood of Christ shed for you. Welcome.